Broadcasting live from the Aria Resorts in Las Vegas for the DBA International Conference, it's Capital Club Radio. Now here's your host, Michael Flock. Thank you and good morning from Las Vegas uh, at the Aria Hotel. We're delighted and honored today to have as our guest uh, Jim Richards, uh, currently chairman and founder of Capio Partners, one of the leading uh, healthcare debt buyers in the uh, United States. Jim is also president of ACA International. And as late breaking news, he is now also founder and chairman of the new Institute of Collection Leadership. Jim, could you tell our listeners this morning a little bit about this new organization that you have founded and what your vision is for it? Sure. Um, The ICL was founded about six months ago. Uh, It was part of what I was trying to accomplish with ACA when I became president. I had two missions. One, increase membership as a whole uh, from all parts of the industry and pull the large agencies, asset buyers, and law firms uh, into ACA or into a group of their own so that they could possibly affect uh, how the industry is viewed and goes forward. They have the deepest pockets. They have the most to be concerned about. And I always believe that they should band together and use their resources to basically change the industry. So changing the industry, um, it sounds nice. What what specifically do you have in mind? Because we've got, what, ACA, we've got DBA, ICL. It's a new acronym, Institute of Collection Leadership. G- give our listeners some detail as to what your plans are to make this different. Well, uh, when I say change the industry, I guess more specifically, I'm talking about changing the reputation of the industry. Uh, I've been involved in it for decades Years and years ago, having a negative perception of a collection company was probably not so bad. It helped people pay their bills. They were concerned about being in collections. The world has changed. Today, between the legislators, the regulators, the judges, the state attorney generals, having a negative uh, perception about your industry doesn't help uh, when they're deciding on how to pass laws and regulations. So it's now time for a change. It's time to get that perception changed. And in fact, the industry has changed. Uh, Where we used to just call up, ask for the balance in full, uh, potentially threaten something, uh, that's not the way it is today. Today, we're all about customer-centric issues. We're more caring. We're more understanding. We're more financial counselors. We're here to solve problems. We're here to get stuff off of the customer's plate and help them with their credit. So I think it's in the best interest of the largest companies to make sure uh, that our federal government, our state governments, uh, again, the regulators and the legislators know that so that when they're passing rules, they know there's two sides of a coin and we're here to help. So advocacy on behalf of the new kind of evolving collection and debt buying industry is is the primary focus then of the Institute of Collection Leadership. That's that's our I would say that's uh, it, what is spearheading it. Right. Behind that, I think there's many other issues that we'll be dealing with. One is to capture some real validated data. Those of us that have been in the business a long time have gotten used to that expression that we shoot from the hip or we have a gut feel. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're talking specifics uh, to government entities, you really have to know what you're talking about and you have to have validated data 
so that they'll listen to you. When they hear that, hey, there was uh, 100,000 complaints, that sounds like a lot. Until you look at, there are billions of calls and letters that are sent out, but we've never gotten our hands around how many people we call, how many letters we send, how many settlements we take, how many times do we update a credit bureau for people, how many people are really sued. Mm -hmm. We're not armed with that information. So that's one of the things following up our change of reputation. And we probably have a list of eight or nine other things that we'll get to as time goes on. Yeah, I've heard you use the phrase action, not words. And we certainly have a lot of words, uh, you know, amongst all these different associations that are uh, advocates for the collection industry. Um, what are some of these actions then that you're planning? Is it, is it all in Washington primarily in terms of getting legislation passed that will support the collection industry or? A big piece of it is in Washington, but it's also in each state government. Okay. Uh, it's also at the attorney general's view. Yeah, Washington drives a lot of it. And it drives a lot of the industries we serve. So uh, that's, a, again, that's the beginning part. This is really about taking time, talent, and treasure from the large companies and putting it into action by hiring the right lobbyists, by hiring uh, the industry makers, by, by putting big dollars on the table. We expect to raise a million dollars in the first year, and we're hoping to raise a million dollars each year. Now, compared to the ACA, they have an industry defense fund mm-hmm. that's a million dollars a year, mm-hmm. and it's specifically uh, to go after lawsuits that would um, that would negatively affect the industry. Mm-hmm. So the things that ACA and DBA and some other groups are doing, we're not trying to duplicate those. Mm-hmm. We're trying to fill in the gaps and go after the larger, broader issues okay. that definitely affect the to big companies. Them. Exactly. Okay. And how will you measure success, you know, a year or two from now of the Institute of Collection Leadership? Excellent question. The firms that we are hiring have their own measurements, their own outreach programs, their own way of coming back and telling us, this is how many people we reached. This is what changed due to that. So you're correct. If we can't measure it, why spend a million dollars a year? But I think as we evolve into this, you'll see specific measurements come out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, do you have any comments for our listeners then as to what will be different about ACA as a result of this? Or is ACA going to continue on the path that you've already charted for it going forward? Or No, ACA will continue doing the excellent job that it has been with all of the uh, multiple issues that are out there. But these issues really concern the largest agencies. Okay. And these are the things that will be done alongside of ACA. Uh, the money that we raise for the dues is all spent by this group only. Mm-hmm. They're not commingled with ACA. Yes, you do have to be an ACA member mm-hmm. in good standing, but outside of that, this group is a self-governing group. Yeah, and ACA is primarily made up of the smaller agencies. Is that correct? Well, there's 4,000 members, and 2,000 of them are under 25 people. Okay. But there's also six or 700 creditors, yep. attorney groups, yep. asset buyers, mill and large agencies. Yep. And while all the large companies all belong to ACA, I've viewed them in the past as not participating much. Mm-hmm. So this will help pull their participation in. And also, um, you know, money is one thing. Their knowledge, their connections, their thoughts yep. should be good for everyone. Yep. Jim, you're in a really unique position, and there are very few people in the industry that have had your 
track record. Um, I know you started at GC Services. Uh, you were there for several years. What were your big accomplishments at GC when you first got started in this industry? Well, you know, I started there as a collector and I left as a senior vice president of operations. Uh, I say to myself, I'm a slow learner. It took me 16 years to, <laughs> to do that. While I was there, especially in the 80s, uh, that was the era of automation. Yeah, And I was able to participate heavily in uh, automating all of our 40 branches, mm -hmm. uh, developing software. We purchased some off the shelf and then uh, uh, made it a proprietary, uh, proprietary system. Uh, so that was exciting. We were into training and people. Uh, so we developed with a team of psychologists a, a pretty in-depth management training program. Probably one of uh, a more fun note was uh, we kind of coined the word early out back in 1981. A lot of people think, well, that's it's interesting. I wonder if that's true. Well, I was standing there when it happened, and I will tell you, it was not uh, a supreme uh, inspiration. Yeah. It was out of pure desperation. We desperation? Having, why? Well, we were selling what was called in-houses, which still go on today, for hospitals. At the time, uh, we did a couple in-houses where we really weren't paid uh, commensurate with the results that we got. And at the same time, we were under the purview of the client all the time, mm -hmm. and it wasn't all that comfortable. And so uh, when challenged by the sales department to continue to do those, we said, no, I think you're, if you want those early accounts worked, you're going to have to take them out mm -hmm. and put them in our shop mm -hmm. so we can co-mingle them and manage them ourselves right. uh, while uh, early out. Right. Uh, a little later on, we sold American Express on their first early out GE and as you can tell, it's been used right. a billion times. So it was a then. clever marketing strategy to get more business and retain yeah, more customers. Yeah, you could say that. Grow your market share. <laughs> correct. And so was it a GC that you first got into healthcare then? Is that? That's uh, correct. You, okay. GC was really a company that catered to large national financial players. Okay. Uh, but then, of course, they broke the market for education yep. uh, by lobbying. Mm -hmm. uh, they were standing there when AT&T deregulated and, Yep. Ended up receiving a large portion of uh, those accounts. So, but they were never in the local markets, and we started dabbling into local markets, and that's when I had my first taste of healthcare, which is a unique business. It's half commercial mm -hmm. and half consumer, right. which makes it a hybrid. Because of the insurance, yeah. Yeah, I always tell people in the health, when I give a healthcare speech, I don't know why everybody makes such a big deal out of it, uh, collecting healthcare. Uh, you only have two problems. You're not sure who owes the debt. Mm -hmm. and you're not sure how much it is. <laughs> but other than those two things, it's a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake. So uh, the piece of cake was, the next piece of cake, I guess, was Metaphys along your journey, right? Correct. So 16 years at GC, and then I think you had 10 years at About Metaphys? About 10 years at Metaphys. It started out in another company called Integratech, but then it got uh, swallowed up by Metaphys, Metaphys, which then went public. So that was your connection. Yes. Okay. And then you were working with our mutual friend, I think, Dennis Barley. Right. Dennis Byerly, yeah. who also sits on my board today. Okay, at Capio. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, we kind of keep the good ones around. <laughs> uh, was he a mentor of yours? Yes, he was. Okay. He was entirely different than me, which made him an excellent mentor. Okay. Um, How's, how is he different? Well, he's a Southerner. I'm a Northerner. Uh-huh. Um, he's very soft-spoken. I'm not. But uh, he's a very smart guy, and he knows how to get things done through people, and I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about mergers and acquisitions there, primarily through him. And I want to say that's half my success. I've always knew how to grow companies and run them, or at least learn that on the way up. But when I met him and Metaphys, we were a big acquisition company, and that served me very well ever since then. Mm -hmm. 
getting things done through people. So has this been kind of a, a principle of yours then over time? Well, you know, it's kind of the definition of management, yep. having uh, yep. predetermined goals uh, yep. through others. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a tenement. No, at Metaphys, those were good days. We uh, accomplished a lot. We kind of brought guaranteed contract uh, contracts to the healthcare market. Uh, we landed some of the largest ones there. And these contracts were for early outs? Of no, they were for primary, 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 and then primary and secondary. Okay. So while I was there, I guess uh, the biggest deal because we guaranteed a lot of our performance and we always performed, uh, we grew the largest healthcare collection, primary collection company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, you know, a pretty worthwhile venture. We mm-hmm. had a great time doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then after 10 years of Metaphys, you decided to go out on your own. And that, is that when you fo- founded uh, Attention LLC? That's correct. At that point in time, um, we had sold the company. And I just thought it was the right time and the right place for me to finally go out on my own and uh, bring some of my partners with me that have, uh, were very instrumental. I've never started a company by myself uh, I know a lot of people like that. I really like working with quality partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started with five folks there, uh, which many of them are still with me. Uh, so, yeah, we moved on to um, starting attention and did a uh, actually probably the largest single source contract in the country. Mm-hmm. And we did it with NCO. And uh, I want to say it was a $40 million contract between primes and seconds, which made attention the largest secondary healthcare company mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the country. So that was quite, I thought, an accomplishment. After four short years, uh, we were approached by West Corporation out of Omaha, mm-hmm. who uh, was a big telemarketing and communications right. company. Right. And they wanted to get into the collection space. So uh, we went over, the, uh, over there, sold the company, stayed on for four and a half years, yep. uh, grew it through one more acquisition uh, to over $300 million. And yep. everybody seemed to enjoy what we were doing, our clients, our people, and our shareholders. This is quite an odyssey now you've had. What were some of the lessons learned? Because you, you went from a very two very big companies, right? Uh, GC Services, Metaphys, to, to a startup. I mean, sometimes there's, the skills needed for a startup are different than skills for running a big organization. Uh, how did you make that transition? And oh, by the way, did you capitalize attention yourself? I guess you had a liquidity event with Metaphys and... We capitalized attention ourselves. Well, I'll go back to uh, the first question. We were in large corporations, but inside of those, you know, if you can't be an entrepreneur, you can be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so I started a couple divisions while I was in both of those companies. And so it gave me a feel for what it's going to take to... Now you're using other people's money and the backbone of a big organization, which is helpful. Right. Uh, but I had already been used to doing some startups internally, mm-hmm. uh, doing them externally, uh, learning how to raise money, things that you don't learn mm-hmm. when you're inside of a big company mm-hmm. was quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we started attention, we, and how cap- many were you? Five, there was five you of us, I think okay. at the time we used our own capital and our own, uh, sweat equity mm-hmm. and, um, kept almost all the equity inside the company. We did borrow money to do acquisitions. And we were successful at getting a couple of those done. Uh, we bought some of those. Uh, those were agencies, small? Small agencies. Healthcare agencies? No, a uh, combination okay. of a little bit of healthcare, but mostly financial. Okay. So we bought one in California, one in Georgia, and then we okay. started up one in Texas. And uh, ran that very successfully for four years and before we ended up uh, selling 
But it wasn't a, a cut and run sale. We literally kept the team on mm-hmm. for four and a half years mm-hmm. uh, through an earnout process, and That's everybody when was, you went to West. Yes, when okay. we went to West. All right, but you know, you're right. It's different when you're running a big company from a small. But uh, if you know how to run a big company, uh, you kind of know how to run a small company. You just got to mm-hmm. grow up really fast to pay for everything, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, you know, cover your overhead. Uh, so when we left West. Uh, we stayed out a year. We had a non-compete, which we did. And uh, <clears throat> we looked around and said, what markets are underserved? Uh, because partnership wanted to reunite and do it one last time. And since we were the premier healthcare team for many, many years, in our opinion, uh, we saw about 25 players in the healthcare debt buying business. Now, we were in the debt buying business, but mm-hmm. in the financial side. And I think we were spending uh, probably through the efforts of Ty Hanna and some others, mm-hmm. uh, $100 million a year. So we saw the whole debt marketplace, but in healthcare, we saw all these different players and we didn't think any of them were quite as qualified as us. Mm -hmm. So we saw big companies trying to get in. We saw little companies trying to get in. And so we had little collection agencies that didn't know debt buying and then Mm -hmm. they had big debt buyers that didn't know healthcare. And we saw an opportunity to own that space, come into it, uh, do a better job than was currently being done because it's a very difficult space. It's mm-hmm. very complicated, mm-hmm. and it, you can't cookie cutter it. It's very little leverageable. Yes, some things, but not everything. Every sale you almost have to look at is a unique sale. So it's not cookie cutter. I mean, it must be difficult to scale, isn't it? You know, we've had our challenges growing it. We plateaued once or twice, but in four or five short years, we've put together a $35, $40 million company. Mm-hmm. We think... Uh, and that's without buying any companies. Mm-hmm. We think it's we, we should be able to take it to a hundred to two hundred million, maybe three hundred million. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now along the way, I mean, you make this sound so so easy. You know uh, how you left Metafest, you had a liquidity event, you started Attention LLC, you sold that to Westcorp. We haven't even talked about Capio yet. But uh, what what were some of the lessons learned? And did you have a few sleepless nights? Did you have a few obstacles here along the way that our listeners can learn from? You know, uh, some guy told me years ago, obstacles are uh, merely stepping stones to success. Mm-hmm. And yes, we had lots and lots of obstacles. Um, Give, uh, name a few. Yeah, do you have some stories that you could share with our Well, audience? you think you're going to buy the largest portfolio ever sold and then they decide not to sell while you're doing a middle of a startup, your funder uh, who's told you they'll lend you $6 million on two deals tells you halfway through, uh, we're all getting fired because we got bought out by another bank and we can't fund your second deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have funders in place for debt buying and they say, no, um, let's renegotiate the contract. That seems like an awful lot of uh, <laughs> price to come up with. Right. Um, so we had to do a lot of self-funding uh, yeah, there was plenty of obstacles. Uh, when you're growing up in the business, you're married with a couple of kids. I had four sons. Yep. Uh, a mortgage yep. was fairly ambitious. Those things will keep driving you. Yep. Yeah. By necessity. By uh, desperation. Desperation. <laughs> so did you uh, did you have moments when you questioned yourself and your ability to, to succeed and support a family of four? And Actually, uh, never until we started Capio. Okay. And um, there was times when we were getting attention started. We were wondering when, when the clients were going to come. Right. And we were funding it all ourselves, and we were down to uh, all of our assets were on the table except 401K and mortgage right. equity. Right. But uh, luckily, 
fortunately, we landed a couple of big deals, and it was pretty much nice sailing after that. Capio, there were points even two and three years into it that if we'd have taken our hand off the wheel, it would have collapsed. Really? And um, so you don't take your hand off the wheel. Right, right. And you press on, and you keep the thought of success mm -hmm. in your mind because the minute you hesitate or blink and everyone sees you do that, you're done. You're done. Yeah. But why Capio? You had made millions of dollars with, you know, attention and the sale to West and then, you know, did really well when you left West. Why, you know, in 2007, when you're already, you know, your net worth was probably more than you dreamed of as a kid. Mm -hmm. Why would you start another company? I'm all about the team. I'm all about my partners and my friends and my family. And uh, the partners that came out of uh, attention that did very well mm -hmm. hit 07, 08, 09, where right. everybody saw their value cut in half. Yep. Some of them had some personal issues that cut their value in half again yep. without saying those what those things are. And they came to me and said, look, let's do one more turn of the wheel. Okay. And uh, so I really only committed part-time in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And somehow uh, that grows into a full-time job when it's not going so well. Right. And um, so, but I'm glad I did. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you saw an opportunity then, obviously, then, <laughs> I guess, with Capio, uh, even though, you know, obviously the healthcare collection market is pretty mature, the debt buy market is fairly new in healthcare, isn't it? It's very, very new. I mean, it's been going on since probably 96, 98, but in a very small way. Right. Even today, according to our calculations, only eight or 9% of hospital decision makers have sold debt. Mm -hmm. And we're working on that magic 15, 16 tipping point number mm -hmm. to where everybody's doing it. Right. So um, we spend a inordinate, inordinate amount of money in marketing, which we never did before. Right. Uh, and we have probably 14 people uh, selling it either directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. uh, for our size company, that's quite an investment. But as the world turns, and it should, right. Uh, when we're standing there with very little competition yep. and a business that is as big as healthcare, uh, we could become very fortunate. Well, help our listeners understand what, why would a debt buyer spend a lot of money on marketing and healthcare? You're, you're trying to market to originators? To the providers themselves. Okay. And showing them the benefits of, of selling. selling their debt. Because okay. today they work it in, in-house in or with an outsourcer one agency or two, mm -hmm. and then put it in, uh, put it away in a shelf, and it's mm -hmm. they get no value out of it. Mm -hmm. So we get that last penny out of the receivable for them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it brings in millions of dollars. I think we've right. spent over a hundred million dollars right. so far uh, since we started Capio. Yeah, yeah. Let's shift the discussion now to Jim Richards personally. Um, you know, everyone likes to know the man behind the title, and you know, you've done so well in so in so many. Uh, in so many industries um, and so many companies, uh, what drives you? What's your passion? And, uh, you know, what lessons can you share with some of the younger folks in the industry who, are, you know, are trying to emulate your success over time? Well, you got to have a caring of people to start with because it's all about people, whether it's your clients, uh, whether it's your employees, whether it's your shareholders. Uh, you got to keep those three groups happy. Uh, but probably what drives me is I, I get a kick out of um, – doing things that are difficult and, and where mm -hmm. other people haven't done them. Mm -hmm. What fuels that is a huge fear of failure. I know? can't believe it. Jim Richards is afraid to fail. That's why I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
yes. Why? Right. Why? After all the millions you've made and no, all the companies you've built and the teams you've built, fear of failure? Well, no, I'm on. not talking about making mistakes. I make more mistakes than most people, but that's because I think I try more things. Okay. So I'm not saying that you don't make mistakes. Right. You learn from those. Yep. Uh, I'm talking about when you have an all-out failure where an entire initiative right. falls flat and everyone yep. is disappointed. And I've seen lots of people go through that, and uh, uh, that's just not uh, in, in my uh, wheelhouse mm-hmm. to do. So mm-hmm. whatever it's going to take, uh, how, however hard you have to work, mm-hmm. uh, however many people you have to talk to, that's what I, what I do. But, yeah, I think fear, fear of failure is a strong motivator. But you also have to have aspirations and goals, and you have to reach and stretch. And, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, and things are going to go wrong. Right. And how you deal with that. Yeah. I, uh, I once saw Tiger Woods on a par five uh, take four bad shots. He hit a tree. <laughs> it ran back a, a gravel road. Right. He went into the rough. Yeah. He went into the bunker. Yeah. He finally is 60 feet from the hole, uh-huh. puts it in for a par. Yeah. He knew how to recover. Right. That's why I don't golf. <laughs> I but you know, know how to recover. recover. You've had in business. In business, not, not in golf. golf. <laughs> okay. So you so, can't apply your business lessons to golf. No, no. but uh, okay. but it is about recovery from yeah. mistakes. Yeah. Uh and and keeping the big picture in mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And making sure the people that are around you are competent and rewarded right. and right. Uh, supportive. So yeah. it's a combination. Yeah. Nothing nothing. One thing makes it and, and how do you recover from personal setbacks? I mean, because I know you lost your first wife and, uh, you know, you have a family of four boys. Um, I recently saw this beautiful picture of you and your new wife on the cover of the, uh, you know, the ACA magazine. And I, I thought, you know, back when I knew you and you lost your first wife and who, who was really loved by many people in the industry and people that work with you. How, how do you recover from those kinds of tragedies? You know, I don't know if you recover. Uh, I know you move on. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. You talk to a lot of folks. They still had four boys to take care of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you run 100 miles an hour, you don't have time to look back and feel bad right. for yourself. Right. So probably for several years, maybe right up to now, okay. that's been one of the things is you keep so busy right. that you don't have time to dwell on it because it's, it's heartbreaking. Right, right. Well, well, Jim, going forward, um, so could you share with us then your, your vision for the next generation of Capio, uh, what what are your plans, and how will you set kind of the, uh, a path for uh, future buyers of healthcare debt going forward? You know, we're going to try to trailblaze it continually until it's $100, 200000000 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. We know that with our success, will attract a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. People will go, well, if he can do it, I can do it too. Right. Hopefully, we won't make any of our current partners mad to go out and compete against us. You know, that's always a favorite way right. of uh, stirring up competition. Right. But, you know, I see that over the next 10 years. And what will happen to the company after that, the market will decide whether yeah. they want to buy me out. I'll be 70 by then. Yep. Or whether they want to sell strategically or whether they want to keep running it because we have a a fairly young management team that's in place that could run this thing for the next 20 plus years or longer so from a capio standpoint i see uh i see that for the future personally i'll be spending another couple years with aca hopefully i can move them to a higher level probably even longer with the icl hopefully that uh thing 20 years ago or 20 years from now i'll be spending five million dollars to benefit the industry every year uh, and uh, have the next generation of owners and businessmen and businesswomen uh, running that. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
personally, uh, you know, giving back. Uh, we sit on, my wife and I sit on a lot of local boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we participate in huge, a, a huge number of charities, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a lot of fun with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one other question about Capio for a second. You did say you spent a lot of money on marketing, which is unusual in the the debt buying collection industry. Uh, you haven't mentioned data and technology, which I know in the healthcare space, data is, is critical and the requirements for how that is managed and um, used keep changing. Can you share with us? You know, I will tell you that um, I'm no longer the youngest kid on the block, so uh, I watch what they're doing more than I participate in it. But I see our pricing team meet a couple of times a week, and that's all they're doing is analyzing data, mm-hmm. analyzing vendors that can help us with that data. Mm-hmm. We're trying to possibly bring somebody in-house, a PhD type that can really bring us into the world of big data. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've purchased $23 billion worth of accounts, 20 million accounts. We have a lot of data mm-hmm. and it'll tell you everything if you know how to mm-hmm. mine it and, and, and use it. <clears throat> but um, I see the very... 10,000 foot level of data. Mm-hmm. And yet really we're all, uh, the real seriousness is, is down in the granule, you know, granule right. level of it. All you can do is keep hiring younger people to look at it. Mm-hmm. Do the originators have requirements for buyers like, like Capio and how that data is, is used in the process of collection? Not really. I mean, obviously they don't want us to use it because of HIPAA, right. which we don't, right. meaning outside of our own purposes. Right. Right. But no, um, they really don't. And really what the, their benefit is after we analyze their data, we go bring it back to them and show them what they have. Right. You know, they're saving lives out there. Yep. They're not running business offices for a living. Right. They're doing it as a necessity. Right. So when we can look at all their data and go back and tell them things that can improve their front end, it's an, another valuable service that we give them besides the cash and buying the accounts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, this has been an excellent discussion this morning. Uh, tracing back in your life over 40 years in the uh, collection and debt buying industries. And now, you know, uh, you're, you're coming to a point where you're taking the whole, all these industries to a whole new level of advocacy and, and changing the image and brand reputation of, of this industry. What, what parting words of wisdom do you have for our, our listeners this morning? That's an interesting question. The getting done, getting things done through people. You mentioned that a lot. It's uh Fear of failure is a good motivator. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Well, uh, one of my lines that I used when I was running for ACA president was, uh, I make things up and then I make them happen. Okay. So there's your imagination. Make something up and go chase it. Have a dream. Chase the dream. Absolutely. Yeah. It works. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. On that note, I'd like to thank Jim Richards, the founder of Capio Partners, president of ACA, and the new founder and chairman of the Institute of Collection Leadership. Thank you so much for sharing us uh, with us your success stories and opportunities uh, that, uh, that you've got going forward, Jim. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. Michael, thank you for having me on. I okay. appreciate it. All right.